From the PA Foundation, I'm James Millward, and this is Vital Minds, a podcast connecting the most vital issues in clinical care with the top minds facing them every day. I'm joined here today with fellow PA and guest host of the Vital Minds podcast, Andrea Lowe. Andrea, thank you for joining me. Hi, James. Good to see you, and thank you so much for having me on today. Andrea, you attended the September 2022 PA Corporate Forum, which was hosted by the AAPA and the PA Foundation in Arlington, Virginia. And while there, facilitated a live Vital Minds podcast discussion, which we recorded and will be listening to today during that event. Can you tell us what was that like? Yeah, so it was fun and informative experience. The topic of discussion was non-traditional career journeys, and the audience got an inside look into how our three PA guests came into three very different leadership roles. And so we really had a fantastic time and privilege of hearing from Jacqueline Spiegel, who is a director of clinical skills and simulation and also a professor in the College of Health Sciences at Midwestern University, and then Kimberly Sapre, who, again, is just such a talented leader. She's a clinical consultant at the Millman IntelliScript. And then we had Christine Bardelia, um, who I know uh, pretty well and is the founder and owner of her own medicine at home company. So with that being said, let's listen to our guests, introduce themselves, and describe their career path and current roles. All right. Thank you very much, Andrea. So as Andrea mentioned, I'm a full professor and director of clinical skills and simulation at Midwestern University. I graduated from PA school in 2001 and began my career in neurosurgery at a level one trauma center. I was the only PA with four surgeons at the time, and they definitely all thought I was their personal PA. (laughs) So that was a tough job right out of school. But after four years there and two kids later, I decided to transition. That's the beauty of being in the profession, transition into family medicine in a somewhat rural area of the Chicagoland area. And the primary care physician, he brought me on board because he was having great difficulty with getting his patients in that community to get really good, high quality, and timely endocrinology care. And so he brought me in and he said, I need you to be my endocrinology PA, and that's the patients that you're going to see. Um, so I did endocrinology and women's health with him. Even early on when I was practicing in neurosurgery, though, I ventured into PA education. I always had a heart for teaching. I always knew that I'd eventually get down that road. And so I, I started doing guest lectures at my alma mater. That, in 2004, they kind of pushed me to go as a part-time instructor with them. And then in 2006, I took the leap to move to Arizona, um, Glendale, Arizona, and join Midwestern University's PA program as their director of their their clinical phase. That was a good move for me at that time. I still continue to practice part-time in an endocrinology practice in, in the Phoenix area. And then 2010, big leap, Our university decided we're going to centralize our clinical skills and simulation operations. They were kind of siloed in all the different colleges we had. In doing that, they put out a call for, we need a director for clinical skills and simulation. And I applied. I was brought on board, and I had to develop a simulation program from the ground up. Big learning curve (laughs) doing that. That was in 2010. And now, fast forward, 2022, 12 years later, I continue to oversee simulation operations on both our Chicagoland campus as well as our Arizona campus. And I like to say creating quality providers one simulation at a time with that. 
I think another part I wanted to add about my career path is that even as a student, I was very actively engaged in advocacy, the profession, leadership. Um, it's one of my passions. And throughout my entire career, I've stayed on that leadership path. I'm on the PA Foundation Board of Directors as the immediate past president. I've served as the president of my state association in Arizona. I've sat on our Arizona Regulatory Board of PAs. We are one of those few states that has our own regulatory board. And I've just taken a lot of different leadership roles on in my career because I just have a passion for the profession and seeing it grow. Awesome. And I think that's a great point. Um, there's a lot of people who say, oh, you know, I can't be a leader of people or big organizations. And I think this this actual summit that we're, we're sitting at is a great way for PAs to get involved in a small way, but still build their leadership career. So great point. Kimberly, what about you? So I actually came into the PA profession as a second career. So my undergraduate degree is actually in computer science. My senior year, when I was programming with the federal government, I thought, oh no, I'm gonna have to program for eight hours a day. And decided not to go into programming, but taught mathematics in middle school. So I taught middle schoolers mathematics for a couple of years, loved teaching, did not so much love working with middle school students. It was very difficult for me. And so I took a step back to try to determine what would be next for me. In that time frame, I actually saw healthcare from the other side of things as a patient. Unfortunately, I saw how much racism, discrimination was pervasive within medicine. So I decided to get into medicine myself to help change things from the inside. So I went into the PA program, graduated from Arcadia University in 2011, Early on, I worked in neurosurgery. I've also worked in interventional pain medicine, but most of my career I've spent in the emergency department. So for the last 10 years, I've been working at Inova Fairfax Hospital right here in Falls Church, a level one trauma center in the emergency department. Um, and in that time, I decided that I wanted to try to go back to teaching. So I started working as adjunct faculty with the GWPA program. So I teach there few lectures, do some clinical education. We have students from Northern Virginia or across the state actually rotating through our emergency department. So I work as a preceptor there as well. And then a few years into my journey in emergency medicine, I thought, what more can I do? So I decided to go back to school. I went to A.T. Still University, got a doctorate degree in medical science with an emphasis in education. After doing that, the leaders in my department saw that I was wanting to get into some leadership roles. So that is when I was put in the role of the ED, APP, quality director and education lead. I still wanted more. I wanted to do something different, something that could meld all of my past experiences together. And that is where I'm doing this new transition of working with Milliman Intellescript, which is an insurance technology company. So I'm actually the first PA that they'll be hiring as a clinical consultant. So this is all very new. So I'm excited to chart this new path for PAs because it's often that when we look around in medicine, many believe that PAs do not have the skills to lead, and we do. And so I, I'm happy that I will get the opportunity to actually work with this company and show what PAs can do. Awesome. So Christine, we're gonna go on to you and tell us about your sort of journey into being a CEO, entrepreneur, and, and leadership in all of these. 
Oh, well, okay. Hi. Very impressive to be up here with such leaders and accomplished credentials. Maybe mine's a little more humble because I am an entrepreneur. I'm pretty busy just building my practice, but being a PA is my encore career. I was a high school history teacher for about 15, 20 years. At some point, about 20, uh, 15 years ago, I had become a little more disillusioned about things and thought, what can I do to be of service? So I started researching and turned out that I wanted to go into medicine. And about 12 years ago, I graduated from PA school here in Maryland. And uh, immediately that my passion was primary care. And I noticed around me in my classroom, my class, uh, most people went um, into surgery or orthopedics or emergency medicine. I was very dedicated to primary care from the beginning. I went into family practice, but I found that my uh, personality type, I just was a little you know, antsy and I, I really wanted to get out of the office. I couldn't see myself in the corporate environment. I couldn't see myself in a hospital environment. And I just thought, well, what else is out there? And I just answered an ad basically saying, let's, uh, do you want to do house calls? I'm like, that sounds really cool and get into the community because I have also a very, a passion towards community health as well. So I did that for about a year, two years. And when this house calls practice sold to a corporate owner, I decided that wasn't for me, and I said, maybe I should look at doing my own. So I did. In 2015, I did all the research with Maryland Law, and I spoke with those folks at AAPA to guide me into practice ownership as a, as a PA, and I opened up my new house calls practice, uh, seeing homebound Medicare patients who were too frail to go to their own office or their doctor's. So basically I become or I, I am their provider in the home. So uh, doing house calls for the homebound has been extremely rewarding. I'm in my seventh year now as a practice. I've been growing it. Uh, it is, as you may imagine, there's a lot of fancy footwork uh, in, with regards to human resources, hiring providers, and then of course all the front office, back office work that I'm doing and uh, hiring those to help me in staff, staffing issues with that. So this is what I do and it is my passion. I love the programs that I've developed with dementia care, memory care, my internship program, mentoring pre-PAs to get them ready and prepared for PA school. So there is a work-life balance issue here because uh, as an entrepreneur and a practice owner, I don't have the time. I would love to go back to school and get my doctorate. I would love love to be more involved as much as possible with advocacy, but I'm doing it one intern at a time and one panel discussion at a time. So thank you very much for letting me answer any questions about that. Wow, it's really incredible to hear where they all started and how over time they have evolved into such leaders of the PA profession. It's fascinating that all three of them have been involved in education at some point, and two of them worked as teachers at the K-12 through level before becoming PAs and making the PA profession a second or encore career. All three of these PAs really have just incredible backgrounds. I agree. I know, right? And that was something that wasn't even planned. That happened organically. All three have really incredible, interesting backgrounds and are now making a huge difference in our field. It's really interesting to see how they made their way into the profession and medical field after originally pursuing a different path. So now let's take a listen to them discuss how their education and background led to where they are today. 
So, of course, being a PA, as we know, it's a very liberating approach to practicing medicine because you have such a broad background. We have choices. And as an entrepreneur, you want to keep your options open. It's sort of like there's a, a natural fit there, actually. Although, you know, I think our training can sometimes be a little bit siloed with regards to staying in the hospital setting or an office based setting. I do think that it's important for us to see the variety of being able to be able to go into other modes and into universities, into academia research, entrepreneurship and practice ownership. You know, I love listening and seeing how other PAs actually do this as well. There's a lot of folks out there that are doing their own thing and, and recreating themselves. So I do think that our our background, our, our mission is having this latitude allows me to do what I do in terms of, well, I just want to do this. I want to open a practice. I want to start this program within my practice. I see a need for interns to, to be connected into learning medicine prior to schools. That was awesome. Kimberly, what about you? How do you feel like the journey has kind of brought you to where you are now working in tech, I'm assuming, um, and getting a little bit more about what you'll be doing for the company? So I I think all of what I've done has brought me to where I am today. So as I said before, my undergraduate degree is in computer science. I taught middle school. I've been teaching at the GWPA program. Even just within the emergency department, I've worked a lot with education, even within the department. One of the areas of quality that I'm an advocate for is the treatment of acute pain within our department. I did a research study on that, and I'm one area of pain that I always want to talk to people about is the care of our sickle cell patients. And so I did a lot of education around treatment of our sickle cell patients just within the department, presentations just with the state organizations, national organizations. So throughout this entire time of before being a PA, becoming a PA, I have taken all of that, and I think all of these different skills have melt together for me to be able to be in this position that I am now with Milliman and Telescript. It's an insurance technology company. Like I said before, I'm one of the, well, I am the first PA to be hired by the company. The company itself, they have proprietary software that they provide to insurance companies, specifically disability insurance companies, life insurance companies, A part of the software that they have, they started to branch out into more of medical data. And so the clinicians that they had on staff at the time, they didn't feel as confident interpreting the medical data for the clients. And so they decided to bring in healthcare clinicians. They hired a physician, they hired a nurse practitioner, and they hired me, a PA, um, to sit with our clients and describe the medical data in a way that they can understand. And for me in this position, I'm in a unique position to also understand the development of software. So I'm able to understand how software would be developed and have a hand possibly in making changes there. But because of my medical expertise, I can also talk about how we can branch that into our software and discuss it with our clients as well. And when you're speaking with different people, talking with clients, the fact that I've done many presentations I have my degree in education. All of that has just come together to make me a perfect candidate to be in this position. Great. Jacqueline, what about you? When I think back, um, 
12, 14 years ago when I was looking at, at making a change and moving into a different area of healthcare education, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, to be honest. I applied. I know I was up against a lot of physicians, nurses, other faculty, seasoned faculty that had been at the university for many years before I was there. And I think I came to the table with a lot of leadership experience. I've been a president of an association while it's not you know, and, and I wasn't an employee or whatever. I know what it takes. I have the leadership skills to step into this role, to take on an administrative role, to manage a team. I currently manage a team of 130 people on our Arizona campus and about 115 on our Illinois campus. I do have managers under me. I don't do the, all of that myself. But like handling budgets and, you know, all of that type of thing. You don't learn that in PA school. I didn't, I didn't learn that stuff in PA school. So moving out of like uh, taking my, my clinical knowledge and applying it to my environment, but then also taking that leadership component and management skills that I developed over time, I think is what made me a well-balanced candidate when I came to the table. I think the other thing is at the heart of the PA profession is a team-based interprofessional approach, right? So that background for me made it so much easier for me to step into a role and work with, I have 15 disciplines of healthcare education that I work with in Arizona and nine in Illinois. And you have to have that team-based approach to, you know, deal with the different disciplines and how do you all mesh together? So I think being a PA and knowing that is the heart of PA practice was really helpful as well. And then my education background, I, I learned a lot as a, as a newbie educator um, from my colleagues uh, about, you know, conducting research and curriculum development and all those key things that I then brought into my role as well. You know, I think it's so interesting hearing their stories about the many ways the skills and education from outside the PA profession become vital to those of us working in the PA world and in, in leading and kind of moving into that next step and pursuing something that traditionally many PAs have not. I think it's so great. How interesting to hear Christine's description of how her educational background naturally fed into her role as a CEO and practice owner and enabled her to pursue her interest in taking that entrepreneurial path. I agree. And then Kimberly has really taken all the skills that she's acquired through her former careers in the tech field and as a math teacher, as well as her degree in education, and is now integrating them alongside her medical expertise into her current role. And then, of course, Jacqueline's background as a healthcare educator and experience as president of associations, which really has allowed her to develop leadership and management skills, is clearly serving her well today in her administrative role. Given the many skills that PAs bring to the table and their drive to get outside of their clinical roles, I next ask our guests to share some insights on the importance of having an employer organization that truly understands how PAs can go beyond and the wide range of things that they can do. Let's take a listen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, sky's the limit in terms of what PAs can do. You're not bound to the fact that you have a clinical degree, right? As the other panelists mentioned, I mean, they were teachers. They were, you know, no computers in the tech industry. I, I think at some point, if, if people are looking to make a, a, a career move or a change, I think you have to look at what skill set do I bring to the table? And it's not just your clinical degree. It can come from a wealth of different knowledge, whether it's it's personal, you know, experiences, 
to you're an avid hiker and you want to get into something with wilderness medicine. You know, it could come from a wide span of all the experiences that you have that culminate into making a choice to move out of a clinical role and into a non-clinical role and bring that to the table. Show your employer. Like, I bring this to the table. I think that I can benefit you. I'm I'm assuming that that's what you did. Um, You said, look, I I have all these other skill sets that I'm not tapping into. And bring that to the table and really highlight it because the opportunities are out there. The other thing I would point out is just because it doesn't say that they're looking for a PA doesn't mean that they wouldn't hire a PA for the job. So there was nowhere in the ad on our university's website that said they were looking for a PA. If anything, it said they were looking for a physician. And I kind of ignored that and said, well, I could do this job just like anybody else can. So I I think that's the other thing, you know, get out of the mindset that it has to be something where they're looking for a PA because it can't hurt to try if you want to venture down that road and try something new. Great, great points. Kimberly, what about you? So to speak to your point, it it definitely helps to have someone bring you in. Like, as you said before, you had someone to state I'm pretty sure she can do this job. She can do it. And that is tantamount to success um, within any career area, but specifically for PAs. Many clinically practicing PAs are up against this barrier and this thought process that the only thing that PAs can do is work in collaborations with physicians, within the clinic, within the hospital, They're not really taught about business, not taught about leadership roles within the hospital. But all PAs, any PAs who want to get involved can have this, have these abilities. But it takes one person, two people to see that in you and for you to say, yes, I can do that. As if Jacqueline was saying, show what you can bring to the table. But on the other side of things, you also need that support so that you're actually able to get into that role and be successful. Because when you're constantly up against barriers and people think you can't do anything, you can try to bring it to the table and they just don't listen. So it always, you always need some type of support. So when I was in the emergency department working clinically as a PA, I showed the leaders that I wanted to do more leadership work within the department. I said, yes, of course, I'll do lectures to the nurses. I'll give lectures to our team. And they said, okay, let's try it out. And I did it. And once you start doing things and people see what you're interested in and you get that support, it just grows. So for any PAs that are thinking about moving into any other role, you can do it. Whatever skills that you have, bring it to the table. That's great. But we also need that support from others so that they know that PAs are able to do anything, not just the clinical work. So I I really bit a dovetail. I love the thoughts about, well, there's something about barriers that I want to pick up on. We can go beyond. And I love this new, our new brand going beyond. I feel like, of course, as a practice owner in a space that is very, very unusual for PAs and that's house calls. And then of course, in the space in the community, going into somebody's home, that's very much going beyond the, the traditional path. 
But there are barriers I'd like to also, you know, maybe mention to that, and that is um, PAs, of course, we need to be trained to do some of these things. We need to loosen up on some of our, I know that in um, many, I've been precepting NPs for a while now, because that is a natural space for nurses to go into the home, not so much the PA. And and, uh, when I talk to PA programs, they're like, well, you know, there's our insurance and coverage, and like, well, nurses are doing it. Doctors or, you know, I have med students coming to me and, and I'm precepting them. So, or, so we have to, you know, address those barriers as well as, you know, state laws and most importantly, OTP, um, trying to uncouple ourselves from the legal shackles that we have with having these supervision barriers. So we need to work and advocate more as PAs to, to really uh, get beyond those restrictions at the state level. As a business owner, I'll be honest, I'm having trouble. I, it's hard for me to hire PAs. I am unfortunately hiring NPs, and that is because of the, the administrative burdens that I suffer, and it's almost impossible. My hands are tied many times to hiring PAs, so I don't want to do that. I want to hire PAs. These are some of the things that I think we really all need to be aware of and work very hard to, to get beyond. You know, it's great to hear the many roles that PAs are playing these days, and I could not agree with them more. As PAs, the sky truly is the limit. There's so much that we can bring to the table, especially coming from diverse backgrounds and early career experiences that allow us to plug into our work in very different ways. And it's critical to show and highlight what we can do and advocate for ourselves as PAs. I know for me, that was something I was able to do in my career because of my background in research before I moved into clinical work as a PA and went went back to school. Um, That background in research led to a lot of implementation of clinical research and outcome reviews and quality improvement projects that I was well suited for because of the work I had done previously. James, I'm right there with you. As PAs, we're capable of so much and sometimes our potential can be overlooked And we can run up against barriers because, as some of our guests have said, people may not fully understand what we do or where we fit in, right, on the team. So the more employers and colleagues realize our potential, which really takes us showing them what we can do and bringing all of our skills to the table, the more we can help make that such an important and vital impact. So I next ask our guests about their relationships with the PA profession and the growth we're going to see. Let's hear what they think that the PA profession is going in terms of new leadership roles and roles outside of the clinical space. I see it only growing. I see students that are that are coming out and and they already know right off the bat, I don't want to be in a clinical role. I want to be in a non-clinical role. I see students coming out and they know right away, like, I want to go into PA education. I want to be an educator. Whereas traditionally, PAs would come out of school and they'd go practice clinically because that's what they just got their degree to do. So I think... The knowledge of these non-clinical roles is becoming more evident to PAs. I think that that's the first thing. And as the PA profession grows, as we brand ourselves and people become more aware of, of PAs and, and their skill set and what they can bring to the table, I think that will create an avenue for these non-clinical roles to become more prevalent for PAs to take. Traditional roles that you would normally see physicians and nurses in, I just think PAs could play a vital role in that. And and even more so because 
you come from the perspective of being in the trenches of practicing clinically. And so being in the trenches of practicing clinically, now you're an administrator and now you're going to make a decision that's going to affect the people that are still in the trenches. And it gives you a different perspective. I am the cardiologist. I am the nephrologist. I am the primary care provider. I am the person who is end of life. I'm palliative care and I'm end of life. I am at the hospice attending. So this is an area for PAs. We need PAs in these areas of medicine. We have a desperate need and I'm doing it. And I opened a practice to do it and any PA can do what I'm doing. Yeah, I think the future is so exciting for PAs and it's a great profession to be in. Clearly, it is so important to raise the visibility of PAs and what we do because as our awareness grows, these non-clinical roles for PAs will become more and more prevalent as well. I agree. We're seeing that more and more. And so the more PAs take on non-clinical roles, the more others will know they can do these roles and employers will see PAs as fitting candidates for them. Our guests then went on to share the perspectives of how PAs can advocate for the profession in everyday work and through our daily interactions. Let's take a listen. Well, every day (laughs) I fight sometimes with, uh, you know, just education. We are educators. I'm an educator by my career path. And if you're going to be in a PA, you're going to be educating and telling people what we do, how we do it, that we can do it, that we are legally allowed to do it. Here's the rules. I, I have to carry Comar with me everywhere to, to talk to hospices and, and, and home health agencies when I, I can I say we can sign for these orders now. So constant advocacy, constantly, um, you know, making sure that people are correcting that I am not a doctor. I am a PA, a proud PA. And so it's, it's, this is what we do in every day. And as business owners, we do it every day. Jacqueline, what about yourself? If I could provide any advice, I think you can find ways to advocate and bring awareness to the profession wherever you are. You don't need to come to a conference where you go to Capitol Hill. If that's not your cup of tea, policy and legislative is not your cup of tea, join a speaker's bureau. I'm on the speaker's bureau for the city of Glendale. They call me up. I I do like two talks at the library a year. Well, guess what? That's two audiences of people that didn't know what a PA was before. And all of a sudden I'm up there and I'm making sense to them. Get out there, get into your community. When COVID hit, you know, there was a need for somebody to head up a vaccine clinic. And the university was like, well, we have the space in our clinics to do it. We're not seeing patients very much. Let's do vaccine clinic. I raised my hand and said, I'll be the lead medical director. That sounds good to me. Those are opportunities. I'm 200 plus vaccines a day. And those are people that maybe didn't know what a PA was before they saw me. So lots of different avenues that that you can advocate and bring awareness. I think that you just got to look around you and see where those avenues and those opportunities are. Yeah, great points. Kimberly, what about yourself? So yeah, I'm in agreement. You don't need to come into a conference room, sit on a panel to let others know what PAs do. Really the best way to let other people know what PAs do is to speak to people one-on-one or to give a lecture to a group of people And so often, um, as you stated before, there are so many of our patients that don't even know we're PAs. I mean, I've spent 
all my years in clinical medicine correcting people because they're like, okay, doc, thanks. And I'm like, well, actually, I'm your PA. So you keep trying to say this over and over because we are those invisible people in medicine. We're often confused as either the physician in the room or sometimes they'll say, oh, you're probably the nurse practitioner. And we're not. We're the PA. So the one thing that you can do as a practicing PA is to always tell people that you are a PA. Just don't let it slide. Make sure you're proud of the fact that you're a PA, not necessarily a physician or a nurse practitioner, because that's something I do pretty much every shift. I introduce myself as a PA, but as you walk out of the room, they still say you're a doctor. And so you keep trying to tell them, like, no, I'm a PA. And eventually they're like, well, wait, what is a PA? And then you have your moment to shine. I like how they really drove home that point that advocating for the profession is it's an everyday thing. It can be done wherever you are. Take Jacqueline's suggestion of getting involved in a speaker's bureau. It's a simple but very effective way to shine a light on the PA role. Exactly. And I love Kimberly's suggestion to always tell your patients who you are, a PA. And it can be as simple as clearly introducing yourself as a PA and making sure you correct them if they refer to you as a doctor or an NP, which are all very important part of the teams. But again, this is just one strategic way to stand out on the team. I also have a question for you, Christine. You mentioned that you have developed some programming for dementia care, and that being one of the, the big issues that is facing our nation over the next couple of, uh, over the next 30 years, we're going to have a huge growth in seniors and a greater number of people dealing with dementia. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the programming you've developed. So uh, Medicare has a fantastic program called the Cognitive Impairment Care Plan Visit. It's very well reimbursed, actually. What it is is we do visits every 180 days for our patients. It's a very full, comprehensive assessment on their neurocognitive, functional, and neuropsych components. And so this this program, I have a nurse practitioner who's responsible for seeing all my patients in my practice every 180 days or more often if necessary. The program is it's something that I think that can be, we can tailor it to the needs of the patient. I think the biggest benefit I find is it's very much something that families need to prepare them for the journey that is ahead of them for from the earliest signs of dementia to the end stages and when they may need to change a living situation or add healthcare providers in the home or uh, home care providers. It's a wake-up call sometimes for them. They don't understand that oh my, this is, you know, this is actually happening. And what are the signs and symptoms? Because it's so comprehensive to what to look for and to prepare them. I, you know, we also talk about advanced care planning during that visit. It's a huge component. And, you know, their end of life wishes. So yeah, this is, this is something that I could probably turn over everything to just having a memory care practice. And it's that important. It is that demanding. So I actually have a question. It's both for Kimberly and Jacqueline. I think it is very savvy and probably more of the future, um, especially as we have partners in the room who are not so much in the hospital space, right, but in the pharmaceutical and the tech space. Where do you see that going and how PAs can play a part in that, especially because both of you deal with sort of you know, AI and technology and things that are really going to incorporate healthcare in the future. 
So yeah, thanks for bringing that question to me because I, I love technology within healthcare and we all know that technology is just gonna grow more. We're gonna see more and more avenues for technology and PAs are here to help any technology company. And when you need that healthcare perspective within your technology company, you should think of a PA. This is something that I will be doing in my work with Milliman and Telescript, working with a technology company Looking at data, they needed people to come in who can actually interpret the medical data. And this is something that PAs can do. So we all know that technology is just going to grow. We all have to use electronic health records now. You could have PAs that actually work within these companies, Epic System, Cerner. We need PAs there because why? When I work in an electronic health record, I'm like, why do they have us doing all these clicks? This is not what I would want to do. But if you had a PA there actually working on the inside, determining what these electronic health records would look like because they know what we want to see, it works out better for everyone. And you wouldn't have as many frustrated clinicians <laughs> who have to do too many clicks when they're dealing with this. So from a technology perspective, we all know this is going to grow. It's just going to grow bigger and bigger within medicine. And we need PAs within those avenues to be doing the work. On the other arm of things, we know telemedicine is also growing. And unfortunately, a lot of jobs that are out there, they're not hiring PAs for that. And why is that? You know, we can also work in telemedicine. But to speak to what Christina said, the issues that we run into are those barriers. It's a lot of the things at state level that keep us from those positions. So technology is the future, but so are PAs. We go beyond. Yeah, I will take it from a slightly different angle in terms of the simulation space. Gosh, that is a growing industry in terms of medical simulation. I mean, it's huge. There's just company after company after company that are popping up. They understand that it's the future of healthcare education. You know, learners right now don't want to be sitting in a classroom. They don't want to be listening to a lecture. They want to be hands-on, interactive in a VR space, in an AR space. That's how these younger generation of learners learn. So it is the direction that healthcare education is going. And, you know, there, there is a cohort of us who work in the simulation world um, that are PAs. We're part of like a little powwow group. When we go to the conferences, we all get together. We're like, hey, the PA simulation people. But from that standpoint, I've seen some of them move on to these corporate entities and these tech companies that are developing medical simulation equipment you know, virtual reality, all that kind of stuff. Those PAs then are like, I love simulation so much. I, I want to go and work for that company that's developing it. So, I mean, that's like taking it another step to another step, right? Is, is really going, going beyond as, as Kimberly likes to say as, as a PA. So yeah, technology is here to stay. Kimberly's right. And it's only going to get bigger and especially when it comes to healthcare education. Yeah, I appreciate that. There were some very good questions and insightful responses from our guests. All, all three really provided valuable perspectives into the nuance of PA practice and their own individual journeys and endeavors. Agree. It was really such a privilege to be able to be there in person and help facilitate the interview. Well, Andrea, again, thank you so much for joining me. As always, it is a pleasure to speak with you. Um, as we reflect on this conversation about the non-traditional career path. Of course, and thank you again, James. It really was a pleasure. 
Thank you for joining us. And for our listeners, I hope you will check out our other episodes of Vital Minds. You'll find them on the PA Foundation website at pa-foundation.org. Until next time, everyone, I'm James Millward, and this is Vital Minds.